All right, welcome to all of you. Whether you're present physically, she loves the real to real. All right, that's good stuff. Or you're watching virtually, we are really glad that you're here. Now, I am convinced that one of the reasons we like movies so much is that every time we get in that theater, whether we're at home or downtown, we realize that there is the potential, and I think sometimes this is more subconscious than conscious. We realize that there is the potential that this movie might tap into one of those eternal themes that we all find so meaningful and fulfilling. So when conflict is resolved, or when love is found, when sacrifice is beneficial, when hope isn't lost, when faith is restored, when joy is uncontained, these themes literally breathe life into us. And movies can provide a two-hour experience where we can feel those emotions and connect on those eternal moments. Now, with that said, I seriously hesitated to even consider this movie, Air, because of its atrocious language. Do you hear me talking to you? But when I watched it, I couldn't help but notice some of those eternal motifs. And I thought, if we can see God in the middle of filthy language and unkind actions, then could we, in faith, help others to do the same? See, that's the kind of issue that we're talking about here. We're talking about being able to share our faith with people where they are. Jesus went outside the camp. He touched the lepers. If we understood what the red district, red light district was, Jesus would have gone there. There was this intentional effort that he made to go to people where they were. That's why I think in one of our main parts of our mission is that we would be culturally relevant. You know, if we just hide out in this building Sunday after Sunday, and we don't ever interact with people, especially with people who are a movie-going culture. That's the culture you live in. If you didn't know that, if you don't watch movies, you're, you, are in, you are not the norm. Movies are huge. They're huge in our culture. And so I think it's really important for us to go to that place. I think that's one of the parts about living in the world, but not being of it. We're aware that people are in that. So how can I see God and help others to see God in this corrupt, morally bankrupt, broken place? Because Jesus did. And I think the answer to that is it starts in recognizing something and someone that is truly great. And I'm telling you, this movie, this is one of the reasons I really wanted to show it to you or give you scenes from it, because this guy that this is about, oh, man, he's one of my heroes. Watch this. This is the 1982 championship, the shot that Jordan makes. I've seen this. Everyone's seen this. No, we've been looking at it wrong. Watch. Here's James Worthy. Okay, number one in his draft class, another guy we had no chance of signing. Correct. Why isn't he getting the ball? They're down by one. They're under a half a minute to go. Why isn't the superstar getting the ball? Why is the ball going to the 18-year-old skinny freshman from Wilmington, North Carolina? They probably drew up the play for Worthy, and Jordan was an option in case Worthy was covered. No, that's wrong. Worthy is a decoy. 
We've been looking at this wrong. Look, he knows he's not getting the ball. They're in a 1-3-1 one, one zone. What's going to happen the second Worthy comes across the lane? That zone's going to collapse on him, leaving Michael Jordan open in the corner, and the ball's going to go to him, and he's going to shoot it. Look, when he shoots it, he shoots it right away. He knows he's getting the ball. The play is drawn up for Jordan. And now that you know that, watch Jordan. Do you feel like your plane is on its final descent, or are you just circling? Look at him. Look at how relaxed he is. Look, he wants the ball. He's calling for the ball. The whole world is watching him. He's 18 years old. He's three seconds away from the biggest shot of his life and the biggest shot of Dean Smith's life. Remember the knock on Dean Smith? He couldn't win the big one. He'd been there three times, couldn't get it done. This is his fourth and maybe his last time. Dean Smith didn't even start freshman. Michael's only the third freshman to start for the guy. And what does he do? He puts the ball in the hands of an 18-year-old freshman. Why? Because Dean sees the same thing that I see, and the same thing that Linwood Robinson saw. Greatness. Greatness. You see, above this sea of mediocrity, every once in a while, we're called to notice the ones that go above. And you think about our Bible reading right now, what we're doing. We're reading, <laughs> are we not reading some of the worst stories ever written in your Bible? I mean, we're reading about deception and curses and rape and incest and murder and assassination and drunkenness and greed and envy. We're, these stories are, you talk about R-rated, these stories are awful. And yet, interspersed among all of these stories that we're reading, we're finding these promises. The Bible calls them prophecies. And so to, to one of them who's homeless and childless, his name was Abram. There's this promise. Look at it. God says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then God does the same thing to the runt of the family who was just sequestered to watching sheep all of the time. And this is what God told little boy David later on. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I'll establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And to a prophet that was misunderstood and mistreated, Isaiah was given the words, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. It's almost as though the Lord is saying, I know things in this Old Testament narrative are pretty rough and it's getting worse. And there are a lot of things that happen that you don't think have anything to do with me. But God every once in a while interjects, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I know it looks like I've left you, but I haven't left you. I'm still with you. So it was this message through patriarchs and prophets and kings and farmers and who knows who all 
that greatness is coming. And if greatness is coming, how are we to prepare? What are our challenges? What are, what's going to be necessary in order for us to meet these challenges? Well, in a word, it's belief. And before we show you this clip, you need to know that Matt Damon is the Nike representative over the basketball shoe division of Nike Company. So he's talking with another one of his salesmen at the beginning of this clip, and then it switches to Matt Damon talking to Michael Jordan's dad. You remember the word. How can we be prepared with this greatness coming? How can we meet the challenge? Belief. Belief. Watch. You made me believe, man. You, you started the Dapper Dan tournament. You got them all there. The greatest high school players in the country. You might have forgot about this, but I was invited. Best day of my life. Then I blew out my knee. It don't matter about what Phil is thinking or anybody's thinking. All that matters is how much do you believe? I believe in you. What should I ask you? Ask me why I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina. Why are you in Wilmington, North Carolina? Because I believe in your son. I believe he's different. And I believe you might be the only person on earth who knows it. That's why I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina. All right, Mr. Vaccaro, thank you for coming. So greatness is coming, and belief is the choice. It is the choice. It, it, it is necessary, but it's a choice. And for Nike, it was putting all of their basketball shoe resources into one basket, investing in one athlete. And up to that time, shoe companies, they didn't do that. I mean, Converse, they spread it out. Their two big ones were Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. That's why that's what you did. You, you spread those contracts out so that you can get that trickle down and you can make the company grow that way. But Nike, they were, they were known at the time more for running shoes than basketball shoes. And so here, here, Matt Damon, his character, he's trying to figure out a way for them to put all of their eggs in, eggs in this one basket. He said, let's just do it all. The, the, the higher-ups at Nike, I mean, we don't do that. We're not going to not, not put our whole investment. He said, well, how much budget do I have? you got $250,000. I want to put $250,000 in signing mine. That's unheard of. We'll do three or four guys. We're not going to do it all. What if he, like the other guy, blows out his knee? What if he doesn't make that jump from college to NBA? You know, that happens to a lot of the athletes. How do you know for certain? Is this going to work? Matt Damon just kept saying, I recognize something that's great about this guy. He's great. He's worth it. Let's put it all on him. So let's think about this for us. For those of us who choose to believe in the promises of this coming Messiah of greatness, even before it gets to us, think about the people during the time. Think about those people who lived during the time of Jesus, what they were being asked to do. Now, you and I know we're on the backside of the resurrection, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's a game changer. But what about the people who didn't know who Jesus really was? I'm talking about the carpenter's son, the Nazarene. You know what people felt about Nazarene. They felt that same way about Nazarene as we feel about, you know, towns that we don't like. What about this guy that was born in shame with a lot of rumors of illegitimacy? 
What about that? What, what about putting anyone? And, and, and today, you, you want to have people kind of be oppositional to you? Just go around talking about Jesus. Bring, bring up Jesus in the conversation around the water cooler and the coffee mark. Just, just, just let, let that kind of slip off your tongue. And you just kind of watch people. And just kind of, okay, okay, yeah, that Jesus guy. Yeah, our culture, they don't want to hear about Jesus. And that it's really different. So what is it going to look like for us? What will putting all of our life resources and investing into the greatness of this one, Jesus? Well, it's a belief that involves a lifelong commitment of pursuing him and following his lead. And the reason is simple. It's not so that we can bring meaning to Christ's life. It's because he brings meaning to ours. The best scene in the movie. I'm going to look you in the eyes, and I'm going to tell you the future. You were cut from your high school basketball team. You willed your way to the NBA. You're going to win championships. It's an American story, and that's why Americans are going to love it. People are going to build you up, because when you're great and new, we love you. Man, we'll build you into something that doesn't even exist. You're going to change the world. But you know what? Once they've built you as high as they possibly can, they're going to tear you back down. It's the most predictable pattern. We build you into something that doesn't exist, and that means you have to try to be that thing all day, every day. That's how it works. And we do it again and again and again. And I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to be attacked, betrayed, exposed, and humiliated. And you'll survive that. A lot of people can climb that mountain. It's the way down that breaks them. Because that's the moment when you are truly alone. And what will you do then? Can you summon the will to fight on through all the pain and rise again? Who are you, Michael? That will be the defining question of your life. And I think you already know the answer. And that's why we're all here. A shoe is just a shoe. Until somebody steps into it, then it has meaning. The rest of us just want a chance to touch that greatness. And we need you in these shoes, not so you have meaning in your life, but so that we have meaning in ours. Everyone at this table will be forgotten as soon as our time here is up. Except for you. You're going to be remembered forever because some things are eternal. You're Michael Jordan, and your story is going to make us want to fly. Okay, so this is God's story, and we're trying to see God in a secular film, a film, by the way, that weren't looking to show you anything about God, but little did they know. God is so strong in this story. You see, it starts with the message, greatness is coming. And then the challenge is, will you believe it? Will you put everything that you are into that? And then the answer is, meaning will actually be found. Fulfillment is there. You see, a life is just a life until someone truly great steps into it. And then it has meaning. The rest of us, we just want to touch greatness. We need Jesus in our life, not so that he has meaning in his, 
but so that we have meaning in ours. You want a scripture? It's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but somebody has stepped into this flesh that I live. Now my life has meaning. In spite of this movie's harsh language and selfish greed, it actually tapped into the overarching message of the Bible. The Old Testament message, someone great is coming. The New Testament challenge, trusting obedience is necessary. And the present future reward, meaning, fulfillment will be found. This movie was just a movie until the story of the Bible stepped into it. <laughs> Years ago, an angry man rushed into a museum in Amsterdam until he reached Rembrandt's famous painting, Night Watch. And he took a knife and he slashed it repeatedly before he could be tackled and stopped. A short time later, a distraught, hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, got by the checkpoints, had a hammer, and he began to smash Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture, the Pieta. Two cherished works of art were severely damaged. So what do the officials do? Do they throw them out and forget about them? <laughs> no, no using the best experts who worked with utmost care and precision, they made every effort to restore those treasures. Now, I don't know where you are. Some of you I got to meet this morning for the first time, and I, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you might feel like a broken statue or a slashed up painting. If that's the case, there's a word here for you. Because greatness has come, Meaning and purpose is available. You just put your trust in he who is great because he can turn mourning into dancing and he can give beauty for ashes and he can turn shame into glory because he is the greatest. He's the only one who can. Father, we all dream about our gatherings like this, that the worship and the word, the communion, the fellowship, the hugs, that somehow something will be stimulated deep inside that will make us want to look up, will make us want to surrender more fully, will make us want to trust. And I just pray that even in movies like this that aren't bent on anything spiritual, we could see you and it could enter into our conversations with others. You know, the reason I love that movie is because it's the overarching message of the Bible. Father, whatever it takes to wake us up and make us lean on you, make that happen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, you cannot sit this song, sit down while we sing this song. So stand up. I'd much rather have you stand on the promises than sit in the premises. So you need to stand up and sing this song with all your heart.